We Will Not Be Tamed, a Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation podcast that encourages all Texans to get involved in conserving the wild things and wild places of our state. I'm Lydia Saldana with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation, and today we're going to talk turkey with a couple of experts. I've got on the line right now Jason Harden, who's the Wild Turkey Program Leader with Texas Parks and Wildlife's Wildlife Division, and also Gary Coslow, who's an East Texas landowner, also a Lone Star land steward who knows a little bit about turkey restoration, too. Um, Jason, let's start with you, and let's just first start with the basics, with a description of the turkey species that are found in Texas. Sure. Well, a lot, it's a common misconception to think that there are multiple species of turkey in, in Texas or in North America, but really we only have one species of turkey in North America, and that's the North American wild turkey. There are five subspecies in the U.S., and three of those do occur in Texas. Um, the eastern wild turkey is the most numerous across the country of all the subspecies, but in Texas, it's a distant second to the Rio Grande wild turkey. Uh, we have more Rio Grande wild turkeys in Texas than any place else in the country, um, probably about you know 500,000 birds, which is a pretty good population. Um, we do also have a handful of the Miriams, Wild turkey, which is a subspecies that's known to occur across the, uh, the Rocky Mountains and just barely into Texas in the Guadalupe Mountains. Uh, we did some restocking of that bird in the Davis Mountains in 1982, released about 40 birds from New Mexico, and they did really well for several decades. But over the last 20 years, they've been getting a little diluted uh, due to um, interbreeding with Rio Grande wild turkeys. But the Davis Mountains still host some of the highest turkey numbers in all the Transpecos. Okay, so you mentioned that we've got a real healthy population of Rio Grande turkeys. Um, you know, what about, you, you mentioned some of the other ones, and what specifically is Parks and Wildlife doing to, to enhance turkey populations? Yeah, so so um, Rio Grande wild turkeys in Texas, most of our management re- revolves around setting up um, um, our regulations on that bird. We have a hunting season in about 177 counties in Texas. Um, we harvest some of the highest numbers of birds, have some of the highest uh, turkey hunter numbers uh, in the country. So to make sure that population is healthy, we want to make sure that, that our harvest is not um, getting out of whack with our bird, bird numbers. Uh, we recently did a, a statewide banding study, and we found that we have some of the lowest harvest rates in the country at about 13% of our gobblers that we had marked being harvested each year. So that's a really low harvest rate. We know that what we're doing as far as setting those bag limits up, is, is working well with that population. We also have, uh, we uh, fund most of the wild turkey research that occurs in the state uh, through our Pittman-Robertson Fund and matching that with university dollars or our Upland Game Bird Stamp, which is also brought to us uh, in no small part by turkey hunters. Um, we also Let me interrupt put, a you, you mentioned the low, low harvest rate. What, what is that? I mean, is that is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? What does that mean? a good thing. So as far as sustaining a population, we know that, that hunting is not having a negative impact on our turkey population. You could probably safely take 20, 25% of your population annually through harvest, and Texas is about half of that at around 13%. Once we get over about that 25% mark, we start seeing um, hunting have a, a more of an impact on that population. Okay. And I interrupted you. I'm sorry. What were you saying? <laughs> no. No. I was going to say... Uh, you know, we fund a lot of research uh, on wild turkeys in the state. Uh, most of the wild turkey research that occurs, TPWD funds with our Pittman-Robinson Act, 
and our research is uh, goal oriented. We're looking to improve our habitat management strategies for that bird so we can assure, you know, that they'll be around for generations to come. And we also have a long history of restoration. So since the 1930s, TPWD and our predecessors, the Game Fish and Worship Commission, uh, moved about 50,000 wild turkeys all across the state of Texas. And like I said, we have some of the highest densities today. So it was a real success story. Um, and if you look at the rest of the country, there are real brand turkey genetics in places like Hawaii, Oregon, Nevada, Utah, and many other states because of the work that we've done and our staff sending those birds out to other states to help them grow their populations. That's awesome. So I, I would say we've done quite a bit. And we're, we continue to work on that bird. Yeah, you know, sometimes when we talk among ourselves, we use a little inside baseball. And I think the three of us on yeah. this call know what Pittman-Robertson is. But just maybe for those who might not, give me a little primer on what Pittman, what you mean when you say Pittman-Robertson. Yeah, absolutely. So um, most of the work that happens across Texas and across all conservation organizations, um, state agencies across the country um, use what I refer to as Pittman Robertson, it's also the the uh, Wildlife and Sports Fish Restoration Act. Uh, so Pittman Robertson were the were the legislators in 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 Washington D.C. who set up a tax, uh, an excise tax on firearms and ammunition. A percentage of that, which when Gary and I go and buy our ammunition or buy a new gun, we pay a tax on that. It's built into the cost of the gun. That goes to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and it comes back to the states based on the number of your population and your number of hunters. And Texas caps out on that almost every year because we have a really um, a, a long-standing hunting culture in the state. And the bottom, so we line cap is, out on- the bottom line is hunting equals conservation. Hunting equals conservation, and hunters equal uh, conservation on the ground for the game and non-game species we all love. Awesome. Now, Gary, let's turn attention to you for a minute here. Tell us a little bit about your family land in East Texas and your involvement with the Texas Parks and Wildlife turkey restoration efforts. Well, thanks for having me on, Lydia. Uh, It's a pleasure to uh, participate in this podcast. Uh, My family land here uh, has long roots all the way back to 1859. Uh, I own about 100 acres of the earth original loan place, uh, along with uh, close to a couple of hundred acres more that I bought uh, in and around that that joined it. So uh, I started trying to buy some of this old property back uh, that just happens to be in what Jason calls the Natchez River Corridor, which is the target area for the Eastern Wild Turkey Restoration Project. Um, my property lies square within it. Uh, I have been blessed to be able to move out here and in doing so I've uh, got a couple of thousand acres contiguous to me that's uh, part of the project that I also have under my care. Um, it, my uh, involvement out here uh, started I guess about 1930 there was just not much out here it kind of was I think one of the best kept secrets in the country and the fact that it was uh, uh, very very sparsely populated out here Uh, the property that 
I have was uh, seeing nothing, no use except for timber and uh, hunting. Uh, so there was never uh, a whole lot of activity on the property, which for me and uh, being an outdoors kind of guy, uh, it really uh, struck interest with me to try to buy up some of this property, which I was blessed to do I, uh, over the years. I put together about 265 acres before I built my home here. But it's saddled down in some large tracts of, of property. So uh, my roots run all the way back to 1859 here, uh, prior to the Civil War. And at one time, this was a pretty thriving community, but it's now uh, like the last of the Mohegans. Like I like to say, there's just not much goes on out here, which is in the world we live in today is a, a pleasure to uh, have a part in this uh, project. Uh, I have, uh, when I first started buying this, it wasn't too many years ago prior to that, the block stocking effort by John Burks was to uh, try the block stocking where they put 12 hands and four uh, toms out. I still had some remnants of that, but no one did anything uh, for the birds, really, and this old country was just a little bit harsh on them. So we're trying to change some of that. So uh, that's where I am today is working with Jason and uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife and trying to uh, uh, go with this super stocking effort that Jason come up with, and we're seeing some success in that. So, Gary, you mentioned that you've, you've been doing this or working um, on this effort since the late 90s, and you mentioned the name John Burke. And, of course, John was uh, – Jason, was that your immediate predecessor as the turkey program leader, or was there one between you and John? I mean – Go ahead. Yeah, there was, there was maybe one person between John. Okay. So, um, so all that to say, I mean, turkey restoration efforts have a long history in Texas, um, and there's been a lot of changes in how y'all are managing turkeys based on evolving research findings. Gary, you mentioned the super stocking. Um, Jason, give us a little background about how the turkey restoration effort has evolved with these new research findings. Yeah, sure. Uh, Gary covered a lot of it, you know. I mean, you go back to the early 1980s through about 2003, uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife was using a, a stocking method that Gary uh, uh, referred to as block stocking. So we'd release, you know, 15 to 20 birds uh, per spot, usually five to 10 locations in a county. And we were doing our restoration based on um, the fact that we do our regulation at the county scale. So let's do our restoration at the county scale. Um, it was successful. We do have uh, 12 counties with an open turkey season in, in East Texas. But we stocked 50-something counties, and, you know, most of those didn't take. So we had to go back to the drawing board. During the, the late 1990s, uh, Dr. Roel Lopez at Texas A&M was wrapping up some of his Ph.D. work, and he published a super stocking model. So Gary gave me credit for that, but it goes it, it precedes me. But uh, the super stocking was just a mathematical model that Dr. Lopez put together saying, you know, if you release this many birds, you have this percent chance of success, this many birds, you have a higher percent chance of success. So in 2007, uh, we had already walked away from our block stocking. Uh, we were done stocking birds in East Texas, but we're getting a lot of staff, partners, and landowners asking us to keep going with stocking. We didn't want to go back and do what we've been doing because it hadn't been as successful as we thought at the time or hoped. 
So in 2007, we funded some on-the-ground research to actually take that superstocking model and take those birds and, re- and release those higher numbers of birds, 70, 80 birds per site, and we did four sites. And it, it worked really well. Uh, we saw really good uh, success with those that superstocking approach. We saw uh, nest success, uh, brood survival, similar to what we see in, in southeastern states with established populations. So we felt really positive about that. In 2014, after putting together new habitat evaluation techniques, uh, based on that research and other research, we started trapping birds, putting birds back on the ground again. Rather than taking the old approach of looking at stocking a county, because that's how we do our regulations, at some jurisdictional boundary, we wanted to work on natural boundaries. Gary referred to the Natchez River Corridor, and that's a landscape basically from Lake Palestine all the way down to Angelina National Forest. It's really connected. It has a, it's potentially a turkey highway or interstate highway. Uh, and our goal is to flood that area, kind of like we did with block stock at the county scale, but it's more of a biological landscape where we know over time there will be potential for a genetic exchange from Lake Palestine all the way down to Angelina National Forest and hopefully beyond. Um, we continue to use research. Uh, recently, we funded some work with the University of Georgia out of Angelina National Forest looking at the scale and timing of fire and how can we do a better job of burning to benefit wild turkeys. What they found was that once we get over about a 500-acre size burn, that the turkeys use less and less in the middle of that burn unit. So that helped guide us on how big of a burn unit we wanted to look at. We looked at the timing of burning. A lot of people are concerned with burning during the growing season because turkeys are nesting during that time of year. But what we found is looking at sites that had been burned in the last three, four, or five years, the turkeys really weren't using those areas anyway, and they could safely be burned because they were just so thick they didn't offer much nesting cover. So we've learned a lot, and we continue to put research dollars on the ground to try to learn more. That's fascinating. Now, I know I know, Dr. Roel Lopez has a, has a lot of fingers and a lot of pies, but this is the first time I've heard about his involvement with turkey research, so thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Um, so, Gary, Absolutely. let me ask you as a, as a landowner, just what have you noticed on your land over the last few years as you have participated in this project? Well, I think the biggest uh, uh, change... And what I've noticed is uh, kind of following Jason's lead on what fire ecology does for you. Uh, the the property, like I mentioned before, was just kind of overgrown. It was just uh, didn't have much character to it. <clears throat> we have uh, run fire through parts of my place three times. And then uh, some of the, the bigger areas uh, burnt twice. The big change now is when I go through this property over here, I can see a vast difference in the understory. Uh, it just makes a big difference all the way around. It's, it's just better, um, more aesthetics when you drive through. It's prettier to look at. It uh, betters the habitat for everything, not just turkeys. It, it helps uh, the deer as well. Uh, the biggest change I've seen, too, is... Uh, you know, my relationship to some of the co-op members. We have uh, uh, developed uh, some friendships and uh, got people that don't mind stepping up to the plate, uh, asking a few questions and doing things. Uh, but but the main thing is over here, uh, as 
the biggest change has been in the habitat. And uh, we have made some, I think, some pretty great strides uh, that we're going to continue to work on. Okay, so that was a great segue to kind of switch gears and talk a little bit about the co-op and the fact that y'all won a Lone Star Land Steward Award Program um, this year, which is a huge deal. Um, Okay, Gary, I'm not going to ask you to brag on yourself. I'm going to ask Jason to explain what the Lone Star Land Steward Program is and why you were nominated and why it's such a big deal to win, win this award. Jason? Sure. Uh, so the Lone Star Land Steward Award, in my opinion, recognizes those landowners or those co-ops who go above and beyond to deliver habitat conservation on the ground. Um, there are lots of landowners out there who provide habitat and do conservation, but there's not a lot of people who can match Gary's commitment and what he's done over the last you know five to ten years. Uh, Gary, like unlike a lot of people, recognizes that habitat does not end at his fence line, that those birds don't recognize that barbed wire, just going to keep on going. So Gary, you know, with that knowledge, he goes, like we talked about, to his neighbors. He's working with them, and some are willing to put fire on the ground, some aren't, but they're all open to that conversation. He created and maintained that relationship with those landowners. Um so Gary doesn't only burn his own property. He doesn't only write timber management plans on his property, but he about 10,000 acres around him, he's also delivering that conservation. Gary, on multiple occasions, is walking around with a drip torch on his neighbor's property, burning their, their land to improve habitat so they can have more turkeys. And inevitably, he'll have more turkeys because of that, because he understands that it's a landscape approach. Uh, so I think that's one of the reasons why Gary is just so deserving of the Lone Star Land Steward Award and the Brushy Creek Turkey Co-op is deserving of that because they're open to each other, they're working together, and they're delivering habitat on the ground um, beyond their own fence lines. So I think that goes a long way. And like Gary mentioned, the habitat is really changed by leaps and bounds. That's awesome. Now, Gary, tell us a little more about the Brushy Creek Co-op. How many landowners are involved? How are you managing the land together? Y'all mentioned a couple of things. And, and I guess... Why do you do it? Why are you doing it? Well, you got to, it goes a long ways back to what the Lord gave us here Uh, and what it used to be and what I think it should be and how some of our failed practices in the past have kind of worked against uh, nature, I believe. And I have a strong desire to change that if possible. I just enjoy uh, the outdoors. Uh, I've been a hunter, a fisherman my whole life. Grew up, uh, killed, crawled, or raised, you know, most everything we eat. So the land is very important to me, and it goes back uh, all the way, like I said, to what the the Lord intended for this. But uh, anyway, uh, to be a good steward of the land, you know, uh, uh, it takes some effort. Uh, it just don't happen. It don't happen by itself. And I don't mind putting forth a little effort here. Um, you know, the co-op to me, uh, and Jason is always, you know, talks about the co-op members. We got about, you know, I guess 12, 15 members. Uh, we got three large landowners in this. So we, uh, we got about 7,000 acres of it. Three owners have. So it makes it a little easier, but we've got a whole lot of smaller tracks and people that's willing to put forth effort as well. But uh, the uh, 
co-op means a whole lot to me because I can see, I live here, I see the results of it. Um, and this is a cooperative effort, not only amongst us landowners, but it takes parks and wildlife is the key. It's uh, Natural Resource Commission, Brandon Bing out of uh, uh, Palestine. He's been a, just a mighty fortress behind me. Uh, National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, that's the co-op, uh, all of us together. And I'd hate to know I had to do it without uh, any of us. You know, we're all in this together. And uh, just to give you a little bit of, uh, of, of what the co-op uh, has you know, been uh, involved in in just the last couple of years. Uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife funded a, a pub project for me for a native restoration effort. Uh, Heidi and Tim worked with me on a, a just a, a startup as a 29-acre native restoration. And due to uh, timely rains, it's been very successful. I'm just, every time I go by those fields, I just, uh, you know, I can't help but smile a little bit. Uh, back in March of this year, also, uh, the pub project I mentioned, we're going into our second year. And, uh, but back in March of this year, we was also able to get approximately 2,700 acres burnt. Uh, of that 2,700 acres, 1,500 was a second burn. And since the, uh, turkey release back in 2017, uh, we have burnt, um, you know, most all of that twice some of it three times. And um, we also, um, uh, I've had about four co-op members this year that's already thinned about 500 acres of timber. And I personally am in the process of planning uh, approximately 800-acre timber sale right now. Uh, my focus has changed a little bit on the way the timber is going to be managed. Uh, I manage... Uh, the timber joining me for Brush Creek Timber Company. Uh, so I have access to um, data collection. So I, I, and I urge these people that's interested in managing their timber for wildlife to get them a forester. Uh, I use Burns Forestry out of Crockett, and they have been a, a stronghold for me. Uh, they sent the forester up here. Uh, John Killian and I spent uh, all day going over these tracts of timber and uh, planning for not a traditional timber cut, but what's called a wildlife cut. Our traditional cuts, we cut our timber back, thin it back to a 80 basal area, which basal area being the square footage of stumpage per acre. Mm -hmm. And we are at um, the average running 115 basal area right now. Uh, my co-op members of a lot of them, like I say, have already started working on some of that. And, uh, it's quite a bit of it's been thinned in the past year. Uh, I'm moving forward with this sale this winter on this 800 acres. We're going to cut it from 115 basal area back to 60 basal area. And I think Jason will, can, uh, give you some idea of what that might do to, as far as getting sunlight on the ground, uh, bringing back native grasses, uh, creating a better habitat uh, for the turkeys all the way around. So uh, uh, right now, uh, that's what my planning is, what's going on right now with uh, Brushy Creek uh, Co-op. 
So we're going to cut this way back. We're going to create a much better uh, habitat for the wildlife. Uh, we're also, within this cut, planning on uh, creating more forest openings. Uh, also, in this cut, we're going to cut another clear cut, another 25-acre field for another pub project for uh, native grass restoration. This one has worked so well. And, you know, I can't wait to get started on another one. Uh, we're planning uh, another burn for late this winter on approximately 900 acres here. Um, so this is a long-term project with no end in sight. And uh, I wouldn't want to end that. <laughs> well, so. you know, as I listen to you talk about just the time, the effort, the science, the research, everything that goes into it, I think, you know, we, we are in a, what, our, our, our state is 95% privately owned. Um, and I think the, the a, a lot of people don't understand what goes into land management. That's another reason for the Lone Star Land Steward Program to kind of tell those stories. But um, it, it, as I listen to you talk and listen to all that you take into consideration as you're managing your land, um, I know that <laughs> I, for one, am very grateful that there are landowners out there like you who are doing what they're doing to conserve, you know, your land and the wildlife that we all that we all love. Let's switch gears here a little bit and kind of wrap this up. Um, we are, uh, this is going to be published during Thanksgiving week. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that turkey will be on your Thanksgiving menu, Gary. Yes? No? <laughs> Butterball? Yeah. Wild turkey? Yeah. What, 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 what's on your menu this, this year? Well, we've kind of transitioned to chefs out of Palestine that uh, does our turkeys for us. <laughs> so I have eaten wild turkey uh, plenty in the past, and I love it. But uh, I kind of have chefs down there. He does my turkey for me, but I will have turkey. But I'm afraid it's not going to be wild turkey. Jason may have wild turkey. I don't know. <laughs> Jason, same question for you. What's what's going to be on your menu oh. this this Thanksgiving? Yeah, turkey will be on the menu, but we might be following uh, Gary's lead and, and getting one cooked for us. But turkey's <laughs> always around my house, so we we love our turkey. Our uh, verde enchiladas made out of turkey, and and we have a lot of different ways of making it. We got one in, uh, turkey enchiladas that you're, yeah. you're that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I go for that. Well, yeah. I tell you what. Let's wrap this up, guys. I'm one of you. One of you has to have a turkey call handy. Jason, you got a turkey call? Why don't we wrap this up with I, uh, with a gobble gobble here? I, well, I'm not going to gobble for you because I'll do that. <laughs> I, see, most most of the turkey calling I do is in the woods, and, and the only thing that can judge me is a turkey, and he never comes up and tells me if I'm doing a bad job. So um, <laughs> I'll, I'll do the best I can here with a few clucks and maybe some purrs from a uh, off my slate call. Go for it. How's that work? That's awesome. And on that note, right. happy, <laughs> happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Lydia. You, Jason. Thanks so much, y'all. Brought to you by Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation, We Will Not Be Tamed calls us all to appreciate the wildness of Texas, the vastness of our Texas spirit, and why we should be inspired to conserve it. Find out more at wewillnotbetamed.org.